Hello, everybody. This is our first episode of Tales from Billy in almost a year now since I had to put the podcast to rest. And uh, with me today, I have a very special uh, reboot to the podcast guest, Daniel and Marie Taylor. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. So Daniel is a uh, filmmaker who has been living in the Birmingham area and has been working in the uh, Birmingham area recently on a movie called It's Just a Game. I believe you finished it two years ago or was it just one year ago? Oh gosh, we finished it. Um, yeah, it was right about two years ago. We had our world premiere um, in December of 2018 and um, got our distribution deal last year, but you know, COVID kind of slowed everything down. So we're just now uh, getting ready to uh, be on store shelves and everything this October. So, okay. If you don't mind giving a quick uh, summary of, of what it's just a game about, what it's just a game is about, so that people who are listening but unfamiliar with the picture could, you know, get an idea of it. Sure, sure. Um, well, it's about a, a young girl who is kidnapped by this cult who is wanting to use her to help resurrect an ancient witch. So it's kind of, um, it, it kind of blends elements of, um, you know, films like Suspiria, but also kind of home invasion horror. Um, you know, a little, little, little bit of a slasher element to it, but not, not too strong. But I really just wanted to, I uh, wanted to make something that kind of blended some of my favorite elements of horror. Okay. Uh, so elements that do inspire you and, and your favorite elements of horror. Um, I want to I want to touch on the the fact that it is uh, centered around a, a somewhat you know ritualistic transformation from what I understand of the the central antagonist. Um, what what leads you to those kinds of, of themes? You know what what draws you towards the idea of like the ritual and the transformation of the the central antagonist? Um, I like the idea that. It's the idea that people aren't always what you think they are. Um, and what I like about films like this, and, and really any film where somebody undergoes a, a you know, a transformation like that, be it a werewolf film or a vampire film or um, something like this, or even, even something non-horror like a Breaking Bad or something, um, is that what you find more often than not is they're not changing the character they're actually letting the character be who they really are um and that's kind of the the angle that that has always really intrigued me about um films where uh, you know the character undergoes a transformation like that um it's just kind of the kind of kind of the peeling back of the layers of the human psyche to see uh, who somebody really is at their core Okay. Are you um, interested in, you know, previous works from other directors, uh, you know, more mainstream films, independent films? Do you pull influences from, say, literature, like a Lovecraftian kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Lovecraft is actually um, a a big influence on on a lot of my writing. Um, He's someone, and Poe, of course, um, both of them have been very big fans of their work since I was... You know, as long as I've been reading, <laughs> so pretty much all my life. Okay, 
Well, Daniel, if you don't mind letting me take a step back away from the actual plot of the picture and, and, and your inspirations, and let's talk about the unique challenges that uh, you face as someone working in Alabama trying to get a, a film financed, produced, and then distributed. Okay. Um, what was the, the pre-production process like? I assume you had a script before you started trying to get any of the wheels turning for any production work or fundraising or anything like that. Yeah, uh, script always comes first, um, you know, because I write and direct, um, the writing process is a huge part of it for me, um, and I am of the belief that um, if you don't have a good script, then, you know, you'll never get past step one, or, or you shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't progress, there's plenty of, plenty of films that get past step one with a terrible script, but, but they shouldn't, um, script should come first, so yes, we had that, um, after that, I started kind of, I did fundraising and casting congruently. Um, and the reason why I did that is you kind of have to know who your cast is, where they're coming from, how much you're going to need um, bef before you can finalize budget. Um, I know, you know, bigger films could just go in and say, okay, we've got a $500,000 budget or a million dollar budget. And then it doesn't matter who they cast. But when you're dealing with, you know, sub $30,000 pictures, um, you know, whether you cast somebody locally or whether you cast somebody out of New York, um, was a big hit to your bottom line. Uh, so kind of need to know where my people were coming from. And, and so went through that. Um, the financing on this one, um, came together pretty easily for me. I had, um, based on my previous work where I previously co-directed some films, um, this was my first solo film. Uh, I, I, was, I had some people I was able to kind of call up and be like, hey, you know, I've got this that I'm working on and, and here's what it is and are you interested? And um, luckily, like I said, it came together pretty easily. I did a, a small uh, crowdfunding campaign, um, but most of it just came through private investors. Okay. So were you able to make those connections um, and even your, your opportunity to previously work as a director on, you know, Paranormalis uh, and, and the other projects? Was that through your acting career? Yeah, yeah my acting career is um, what got me started. Um, the very first film I co-directed, um, which is not one that I'm proud of, not, not a very good film, but um, how we kind of embarked on that was... <laughs> me and another actor friend um, kind of throwing around the idea of, hey, well, wouldn't it be cool to be in a film like this? Um, and so we, we pulled it together and, and got a, hired a, a director to co-direct and you know kind of went from there. So, so the whole genesis of filmmaking for me was creating things that I wanted to either act in myself or... Um, just wanted to watch, you know, just films I wanted to see. Okay. And you have a, a kind of a draw towards horror films. That's, that seems to be the running theme through your work that I've seen. I do. Um, I love horror. I, I like horror a whole lot. I don't want to be stuck doing just horror. Um, you know, I, I, want, I want to have the freedom to do everything. Uh, I've actually got a film that... Um, have been trying to get funded, which is more of a uh, neo-noir kind of thriller mystery. Uh, I've got a kid's film that I would love to do. 
next one that I am going to do is, is more of a uh, kind of a thriller drama. Um, but at this level of filmmaking, the simple truth is that horror films are usually easy to get funded or easier to get funded. Um, and they're much easier to sell. And horror fans tend to be very forgiving um, of the the short the, the shortcomings of having very very low budgets. Um, whereas you know maybe your lighting rig is not what it is on a you know multi million dollar Hollywood picture. Maybe your effects aren't. But horror fans are very forgiving of those things. Um, and horror fans tend to be very loyal. And that's one thing I've always run into is is my fan base has always been very loyal um, and willing to willing to follow me down, you know, whatever path I go down, just, just because I am known within the horror community. Okay. Um, on that note, I kind of want to take sort of a sidestep from, you know, focusing on, on the past of your career and focus uh-huh. on, you know, being a filmmaker in the Deep South and, and working in Alabama. It's a pretty, pretty small, tight-knit community. It is. It is. And, and um, it's just crazy to me how how interconnected everything is. Um, even like your your small art house films, your uh, you know when Hollywood productions come to town, um, you know it, it, everybody works on everything. So you know the people working on my film have also worked on Woodlawn. Have also worked on you know these small student art house films. It's kind of um, kind of amazing to me as opposed to you know the people out of atlanta or people out of like nashville or or new orleans the birmingham community is incredibly incredibly interconnected and that's less one thing it's always been you know fascinating for me to see so uh, i'm originally from the montgomery area but i've gotten to work with both david brower and uh david bagley from the, Mm -hmm. the birmingham film community both of them are fun to to be around and work with uh, but I also find that Birmingham in particular tends to be rather insular, despite also being very interconnected and small. Um, it, it feels like each region of the state ten, tends to have like its own little uh, uh, niche, if you will, its own little small group of people. And sure, yeah. I've always wondered why there's not much overlap. You know, why is it the people down here, because I'm currently in Dothan, why is it the people in Dothan and in Mobile don't interact with the people from Montgomery who don't interact with the people in Birmingham who sometimes but rarely interact with the people in Huntsville? Why, why is there Huntsville, such a yeah. split? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It is very um, clicky. I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, I know I've worked with um, people out of Huntsville um, a good bit, and uh, Bill Schweikert has uh, worked with several times, who is a phenomenal uh, DP out of the Huntsville area. Um, but I don't know why that is, but yeah, you know, I don't guess I've ever really considered it until, until you mentioned it, but yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. I don't know why. That's one of the goals that I'm hoping this podcast can can resolve. Um, kind, of, kind of bring everybody together and, and put, it, put us all on the same page, so well, to speak. A lot of it is people just don't know that each other exists. And so I, I originally started this podcast. Thankfully, Bill Swiker was willing to be my first guest. But it was just to, yeah. to let people know, you know, what's in the state, who's in the state, and who's doing what. So that, you know, there is sort of this community building aspect to it. And, and that's one thing that I've always, you know, being a filmmaker from Alabama, um, and I myself, I'm not, um, I had, when I started my filmmaking, 
aspect of my career. I was working more in Nashville and working with uh, the Nashville film community. Um, so I'm not even as connected to the Birmingham community as um, a lot of people are. Um, you know, like I don't do the sidewalk thing and all that. And just not not because I'm against it or anything. I'm just, I'm just haven't. Um, so it is weird. And that's one thing that I, that I have been trying to do is make more connections and, and try to bring people together because, you know, you have a lot of, so many people across the country with preconceived notions of what Alabama is um, and what people from Alabama are. And that's one thing that I've always have really been trying to do is, you know, show them that Alabama is so much more than what people expect. And I hear that all the time when I, cause I'll bring, you know, actors in from, um, you know, the Northeast or from, you know, the West Coast. And they're always like, oh, wow, well, this isn't anything like I expected. You know, they're like they're expecting, you know, endless trailer parks and, you mm-hmm. know, fishing camps and whatnot. <laughs> but um, I, I think, you know, if, if the various film communities in the state could really pull together um, and kind of build the industry here, I think it would change the perception of the state um, to everybody else in the country. Absolutely. Part of it, though, is that we are sort of a spread out state. You have, you know, every 10 miles in every direction, some kind of town, but the towns are not exactly connected via infrastructure very well. It's usually back roads connecting them. So, um, you know, unless you hit like I-65 or I-85 and ride up and down the center of the state, there's there's not an easy way to get over large distances. So I I kind of understand why there's this distance, but we live in the age of the Internet. (laughs) This is true. This is true. And um you know, it's things are especially one thing that that the whole coronavirus thing has shown me is just how easy it is to stay connected. Um, whereas we've all now been doing Zoom calls and conference calls, you know, uh, through Skype and everything else. It's it's really easy to connect. Um, we just have to put forth the effort to do it. Absolutely. Um. So now to get back onto the topic of your picture, it's a game. I understand that you don't know the specifics yet about the distribution deal. Uh, we don't know yet which uh, retailers and platforms it's going to be in. Um, looks like the last bit of communication I got said that it was going to be released on October 13th. Um, and then I know we're doing a physical media release and it will be on streaming sites and whatnot uh will probably be in Redbox. um we're looking at walmart uh, but i don't know if that deal's finalized um you know of course it'll be available on amazon and everything uh as far as what streaming platforms um my hunch is that it'll be transactional first it'll be on you know itunes it'll be on amazon to buy things like that and then once it kind of goes through that, then it will go to the subscription-based services like, you know, maybe Hulu or maybe Netflix or whatever. But, I mean, it's a wide release. It's um, Wild Eye, who has been absolutely fantastic to work with. Um, they've kind of positioned this as their, you know, core Halloween title, um, which is a very cool thing. Um, so, yeah, I expect it to be, expect it to be available uh, 
you know, wherever you buy movies. So Okay, that's that's interesting to look forward to. I, I always love whenever something from the state actually does get uh, a wide national release. Yeah, it, it's great. And, and this one, too, is, um, gosh, it's so much better than anything <laughs> I've, I've worked on previously. So I'm really glad to, to get it out there and, and let people see it. So for the uh, the equipment choices, I'm not too familiar with you know the making of this picture. Uh, I've spoken with a couple people who were involved. That's what led me to you know asking you to do this interview. Sure. Um, but what what were your camera and lens choices? Do you know? Um, I know we use Blackmagic Pocket. Um, as far as the lenses, uh, that would be a Bill Schwager question. I'm not sure offhand. Gotcha. Understood. Yeah, Bill is so phenomenal at what he does. Uh, that I don't really ask a lot of questions. I figure, uh, you know, I tell him what I want, and he gives me what I want. It's really, it's, it's been a beautiful relationship like that. So <laughs> to 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 give uh, people listening who may not be familiar with my interview with Bill Swikert and you know just who the man is in general, he consistently sends me Facebook messages about things like, "Hey, I found this light at uh, a dollar store, and I checked it with a meter, and it's got high like color index." And so he's like put together this whole like. Uh, you know, sky panel looking, you know, soft light rig that cost him maybe $90 versus the 2000 you'd spend on a proper one. So he's, he's very DIY, but he also is very technical. And, and he's like a wizard. I don't know. He's, he just makes things, make things work that shouldn't, you wouldn't think would be able to work. Okay. I'll have to ask him then about the, uh, the lens choices on it. Do you know who did the, uh, the post work? Who did the post work on who, like the, the the editing and then who, who did yes uh daniel pico who is a um editor out of la okay. um he did that for us and matthew fessel did our sound design and foley work okay who did color finishing uh pico also did coloring cool 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 yeah all right um are there any particular topics you'd like to speak about uh well actually let me bring up one thing i, I did intend to mention during this uh you you got your start as a child actor i did i did um film called the return of swamp thing um which used to play frequently on uh usa up all night and uh sci-fi and things like that and um is actually the second thing i ever auditioned for um so i just kind of fell into it i initially had started i never thought about being an actor when I was, you know, little, um, but we did a play in first grade of Close the Night Before Christmas, and I got cast as a gift box, um, which meant I sat under the tree. I'm thinking, okay, well, this is great. I'm going to sit under this tree. Um, but the little guy who got cast as the father uh, got sick, like, a week out, so... Um, I was the one who the the outfit would fit, so they they bumped me up to father, and um, nobody realized I was kind of a shy kid and, and didn't talk a lot and, and things like that. So they didn't realize that when they put me on stage, I would become this little ham um, <laughs> and just completely upstaged everyone and overacted and everything. But uh, there was a talent scout that was there for a local talent agency, and they. Uh, apparently saw something in me and asked me to come audition for a couple of things, and I did. Like I said, Swamp Thing was the second thing I ever auditioned for. Um, pretty easy process. 
shot it in Savannah, Georgia, back in the summer of 87. And uh, things were just kind of rolling from there and just kind of did some TV and then various things. I was in the film uh, Road Trip uh, back in 2000. And uh, from there, kind of segued into the world of, uh, you know, independent horror and independent film. Which is your favorite picture that you've worked on as an actor? And then the question after that that I'd like you to answer is what what are your plans going forward after you know everything calms down with COVID? Sure. Um, gosh, my favorite thing that I worked on, I mean, it would have to be Return of Swamp Thing just because, I mean, it, it's still, I do comic book conventions and, and, and you know, fan conventions and things. And it's, it's really been the thing that I'm known for and still known for. I love the picture. It's, it's fun. It's a... Uh, kind of an 80s schlocky, you know, sci-fi film and um, so many great memories. It's just, a, you know, great character. I love the Swamp Thing character anyway. So it's just kind of a, a great thing to be attached to. Um, looking more, um, something more on the independent side, um, you know, I, I worked on a film called uh, Ultimate Deathmatch Part 2. That was a lot of fun that, um, you know, included a lot of uh, kind of classic wrestlers and old school wrestlers. Um, did a film several years ago called Hellophone um, by a director named George Manila out of Kentucky. And uh, that was a really, really uh, a fun film with a really inventive story. Um, something about uh, something about that that always really appealed to me, just just that's one thing I've liked about independent film in general is that, you know, Hollywood doesn't like to take a lot of risks anymore. Um, everything's these big tent pole, you know, these big franchise films. And I'm not, I'm not blasting that. I love the Marvel films. I love the star Wars films. I, I love the big franchises. Um, but the thing that really draws me to independent film and, and lower budget film is that people, are ready to experiment. They're ready to express themselves artistically in ways that Hollywood does not. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to be working in film at this level and just being able to, you know, if you have a crazy idea, you know, go for it. Um, you know, even if it's something that maybe won't appeal to everybody, it will appeal, definitely appeal to some. And that's kind of, uh, kind of the mindset. Okay. What, what are your plans going forward? Plans going forward. Um, you got a, a few different things. I've got a film um, called Repulse. That is uh, the one I mentioned earlier. This kind of a uh, neo noir mystery thriller um, about a girl who is uh, trying to find her sister, who she believes has been uh, trafficked. Um, that is one that, um, gosh, I've had funding for a couple of times. It's fallen through each time. Um, and we may finally be getting that off the ground next year um, i actually have another film that i can't uh announce right now uh that we should be shooting in the fall barring any unforeseen circumstances i know right now everything's kind of up in the air because of uh covid and, and kind of what's going on um but our plan is to shoot this other kind of smaller film um coming up in either october or november um, and then I've had people ask about, you know, a sequel for It's Just a Game. Um, I've got some great ideas, but 
you know, that would require uh, interested investors. So, <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. All righty. Well, thank you, Daniel, for being my guest on this. Uh, I have learned that I'm still a little bit rusty on the uh, podcasting front, but you know, you've been a you've been a great guest. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and I've really enjoyed it. All right. Hopefully, we will uh, continue conversations in the future as more of your projects get made. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow.